listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. the fret files podcast podcast about guitars generally guitar repair guitar science you know all things guitar guitar parts guitar modifications guitar news guitar news yeah we do we have some guitar news tonight oh yeah big news sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host and birthday girl melissa it's my birthday tomorrow it is your birthday tomorrow this is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. We used to do a lot of interviews, but I haven't done one for a long time. Yeah. If y'all miss the interview episodes or if you have a suggestion for someone whom I should interview, please uh, let me know. Otherwise, we just do the question and answer stuff. It's fun. Yeah. I will do more interviews someday. I've got ideas for people I want to interview, and one of the questions today is about one of those people, so... Oh, yeah, cool. There's a, there's a little there's a little tease. A little tease for something. Oh, this, oh the suspense. We are not going to do ever. Yeah. I think we have a call, and we have a few, we have a few questions. Uh, what have I been working on lately? What's well, on your bench? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, mostly custom guitars. I have about... I have six or eight guitars on order that I need to finish. Uh, th- I think three of them are um, nearing the <laughs> nearing the end of the painting process, and another mm-hmm. three are just about to start the painting process. And wow. then there's another, um, I think, two or three that aren't really <laughs> started at all yet. So I'm several <laughs> months out. I, let, let's just put it that way. I'm months out. Uh, also, you know, a lot of repairs lately. What have I been working on? Oh, my crazy. You know, somebody bought a really messed up Gibson ES-125. Oh, dear. On Reverb as a project and uh, just had it sent directly to me. I don't even think they've seen the guitar. But it has a broken headstock and... A bad and messed up neck joint. And somebody somebody tried to repair uh, both, and they had no idea what they were doing. I took a I took a drywall screw, like a three inch drywall screw, out of the neck joint. No. Yeah. Yeah. So they put a drywall <sighs> screw in the neck joint, and then put a nice pearl dot over it. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, that looks good. Just put a nice little pearl dot right over the. In fact, what they did is they they drilled. A hole first, but missed the neck block. Nice. So they just drilled a hole into, into nothing, air. 
and then put a pearl dot over that, and then drilled another hole adjacent to it, and finally hit pay dirt with the uh, the, uh, what did they the drywall fill? screw right into. What did they fill that hole with? Uh, just a pearl dot. So there were two pearl do- dots right next to yeah. each other. Wow. On the heel, yeah. Ouch. Thankfully, the paint is almost black in that area. Oh, good. So I'll be able to fill those holes. Match it. And paint it, match it, do a proper neck reset with hot hide glue. If you're wondering, drywall screws aren't the proper methodology for uh, resetting a neck on a a vintage Gibson archtop. That is how you would do it. Uh, And there were three or maybe four screws in the headstock repair. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Two wood screws... One machine screw with a nice fat, you know, nut and washer on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was it. I think three screws. Yeah. Sounds so, like a chips and... Yeah. Three... Sc- <laughs> yeah. Very authentic. <laughs> three screws and the most poorly aligned glue joint I've maybe ever seen. It was like, like an eighth of an inch off. So it's like when somebody breaks their leg and it sets wrong, me, the guitar surgeon, I have to go in there and break it again, Mm. which I did. I, I, I sprayed a little bit of steam into the joint and snapped it. That, that must kind of feel pretty satisfying though. No, it doesn't. I would rather, this is a repair that I would honestly rather not do. However... Uh, that's fine. I, I'm I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. But if it were me, if I had found that guitar in reverb, I would not have bought it. But um, I'm happy to do the work. I'm sure, you know, whoever uh, this... I'm not going to say their name, but they sent this to me, and I'm sure they're listening, and thank you for sending it to me. I, I don't mean any disrespect. Honestly, I'm happy and grateful for the work, and it's going to turn out awesome. I'm just saying that I'm awfully busy, so if I saw it, <laughs> if I saw it on Reverb, like, hey, I need a project. No, I don't need a project because I have probably a dozen project guitars. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, and some of those project guitars you've had for 10, 15 years. Well, that's true, but uh, let's, that is true, but let's not rub it in. Okay, okay. so let's take a call, shall we? Okay. All righty, call number one. Hey, Eric, this is Micah in Omaha, Nebraska, calling again, wondering about fender necks that have a rosewood fingerboard that is radiused with, like, the, the maple parts radiused and the fingerboard's radiused, and yeah. is it, my question is, is it bent around that curve, or do they carve, like, a cove shape? into the fingerboard and then glue it on Uh, I'm replacing a fingerboard and wondering how to approach that thank you indeed yeah they call that a veneer fingerboard my understanding is that it is that it is actually a flat piece that they glue onto the radius and but it's thin enough that they can bend it but I don't know I don't know for certain so the maple underneath the rosewood is also radiused? Yes. Oh. Uh, there, it's, it depends on the era of fender. So they started out, when they started doing rosewood 
fingerboards in 1959. The fingerboard, the joint between the rosewood fingerboard and the maple neck is flat. Okay. That's how they started doing it. Uh-huh. In 1962, they started doing a much thinner fingerboard, and the neck, the maple part has a seven and a quarter inch radius, and then the thinner fingerboard that is glued onto the neck has the same radius. Interesting. I don't. I just don't know if that's cut that way, or if it's bent. Because I'm trying to imagine if they tried to just glue it on and bend it around that curve. I think it would. I think it would crack unless they really heated it up. I don't know. I honestly don't know. It does. It, it seems like it wouldn't be worth it to do a double radius if you had to also radius the bottom of the rosewood because there's no cost saving because you're actually taking off wood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it must bend. It must, but I've, you know, A, as you can tell, I've never done this. And B, I wasn't there at the fender factory. I don't know how they did it. Um, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they if they bent that wood they I'm I'm assuming they bent it because the whole point I think well, I just don't know. If you know, yeah. you should email us. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, Micah. We don't know. You stumped us. Congratulations. Yeah, I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would say that they steamed it and and put the radius in the, in a flat thin fingerboard uh as they glued it on but yeah. again again i'm not sure about it i just don't know shall we take some questions is that the last of the calls yes we only had one call oh, so okay. let's take some questions do you want to do wait a minute we didn't do news i was yeah do you want to do news first yes i do okay let's do news too. <laughs> okay Do you want to go first? We each have a story to read. We each have a juicy story. David Gilmore's guitars shatter records at auction. Now, you've probably heard about this. It was all over the internet. But um, David Gilmore sold his guitar collection for charity. And oh my goodness, did they fetch hefty sums. All in all, it brought in a total of $21.5 million. What? Yeah. Bidders from 66 different countries took part in the auction, and it all benefited Client Earth, the charity Client Earth. We don't know what Client Earth does, but I'm sure it's very nice. Uh, The biggest news was the record-setting 1,095,000. Yeah, one million and ninety-five thousand sale of Gilmore's nineteen sixty-nine Martin D thirty-five, which is heard on Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here." Most notably, the title track. The guitar started off with a pre-sale estimate of ten to twenty thousand. Whoa! And sold for over a million. Whoa! I mean, their estimates were were way off. Was it just people being generous because it was going to charity? I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine. The mindset of someone who has a million dollars to spend on a 69 Martin no, D35. So here's, I, he, no, here's what it is. <laughs> uh, 
it's somebody had a million dollars to invest. They That's decided a- to invest it in a guitar because it's a tangible piece of property that will effectively always have value. Plus, they get a tax write-off because it's a donation to charity. That's I what guess. it was. Man, if you're looking to invest, I if you have a million dollars to invest, get in touch with me because <laughs> because this purchase was a little, just a little on the frivolous side, okay? And I don't know if that's a guitar that's going to hold its value, honestly. Over a million for a 69 Martin D35? The, undis- the undisputed star of the auction was Gilmore's legendary 1969 Black Strat, which took in a mammoth... Three million nine hundred and seventy-five thousand late in the day Whoa. for a '69 Strat. Is that the most any guitar has ever sold for? I hope. Uh, it established a new world auction record for any guitar ever sold at auction. Wow, four million dollars. Yeah, a '69 Strat. Now, to me, you know, the guitar I was most interested in was his. Uh, some people call it Olympic white. Some people call it desert sand. But I think I think it's desert sand, Stratocaster. Oh, with the with the serial number zero 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 one. With the anodized. With the anodized pick gold pickguard. That to me was, I would have thought that would have sold for the most money, uh, but it did not. It sold for one point eight million. Oh God. Well, which is a lot, yeah. but compared to almost four million for that '69 Black Strat, yeah, I mean, you could buy a different '69 Black Strat and say this is exactly like David Gilmore's that sold for four million dollars. You can't buy another uh, Desert Sand Stratocaster with the serial number zero 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 one. Well. I mean, you can't buy another 69 Strat with the same serial number either. Well, what I'm saying is, as far as a a collectible Fender vintage guitar goes... Well, yeah, you're thinking... That's the way more rare piece. Yeah, but And to me, way more desirable. You're thinking of Fender history, while most people think of rock and roll history. I guess, well, in my mind, they're they're not really a separate thing... A, because... Well, because you are have surrounded yourselves with guitars your whole life. If somebody's just a casual fan, I guess these people probably are not casual. But if somebody's just a fan of a, a musician, of a band, they don't really care that that's the first Strat that was ever made, or, you know, yeah. purportedly. The 69 Black Strat is known, kind of known as the David Gilmore guitar. It's the Axe... Heard on Comfortably Numb, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, Money, and a whole bunch of other classic tracks. Um, but again, I, you know, you could, you can buy another 69 yeah. Fender Strat. Anyhow, so the uh, the uh, Desert Sand first year Stratocaster with this, with this serial number one. I mean, this this was a special guitar, and I wish we knew who that guitar was made for. We we don't have much history on that guitar. I mean, the, that guitar's history is really foggy, and I don't know why. Although there are stories about it involving a young Seymour Duncan. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, but David Gilmore says it's special to him because some guitars make everyone sound the same. Others tend to emphasize the differences 
which this one does. End quote. Hmm. Whatever that means. His Candy Apple Red 84 Strat brought in an impressive 615000 Wow. Estimated to sell for 25000 It's just his name linked to him that, I mean, if it was Eric Clapton, it wouldn't be worth that much. You what? know what I mean? Eric Clapton is way more famous than David Gilmour, don't you think? Really? I would think so. Pink Floyd? It's a pretty big band. <laughs> Eric Clapton? I mean, Eric Clapton's big too, but... I don't know. So with these numbers, it makes me wonder, like, there's a lot of guitars that have never been sold at auction, like Jimmy Page's Les Paul. Right. What would that guitar sell for at auction? Or any of the... A billion? Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. Any of John Lennon's guitars or... Yeah. Well, he wasn't... Maybe George Harrison. Speaking of George Harrison, uh, one other guitar was sold at this uh, auction that was once played by George Harrison, an 84 Black Strat sold for 212000 And George Harrison played it one time? I don't know. It just says that it was once played by George Harrison. So how about that? George Harrison breathed on this <laughs> yeah. guitar. Gilmore's 1955 Gibson Les Paul Gold Top sold for 447000 He used it on the wall tour for the song Happiest Days of Our Lives, One of My Turns, and Last Few Bricks. Meanwhile, the gu- guitarist's incredibly rare 1958 Gretsch White Penguin was let go for 447000 And a 1981 Charvel, oh, nobody cares about that. So, well, okay, it sold for 75000 uh, so, you know. Expensive guitars, bro. Yeah, a 74 Jetson lap steel sold for 300000 despite its $2,000 estimate. That is insanity. It is. It's total insanity. Was it just I, one dude driving up the price? I don't know. It had to have been at least two it, dudes. Yeah, oh, for sure. It was a, bit, <laughs> it was a bidding war, for sure. This is from GuitarWorld.com. And uh, he told Guitar World earlier this year, These guitars have served me very well, and they've given me songs and tunes, but I thought it would be good for them to move on and create new music with different people. Hopefully they'll also raise a fair bit of money, which I plan to donate to charity, and that will do some direct good in this world with all its difficulties. Good for him, man. Absolutely. Thank you, David Gilmore. And uh, our other piece of guitar news, uh, let me read the headline for you. Gibson sues Dean Guitars over alleged trademark infringement. Dun, dun, dun. This is from Guitar.com. Gibson Brands, Inc. has filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the parent company of Dean Guitars and Luna Guitars in a Texas court. Hmm. Uh, they are alleging trademark infringement. Tr- infringement. 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 Trademark counterfeiting. Unfair competition. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a playground thing. Unfair. That is so unfair. And trademark dilution on the part of Florida-based Armadillo Distributions Enterprises Incorporated. Trademark dilution. These must be real legal terms. They sound made up, but they must be real. Trademark dilution. 
Among other allegations, Gibson is accusing Armadillo, which also owns the drum maker D-Drum? Drum? D-Drum? Capital D. D-Drum? Capital D, small D-Drum. One word. One word. D-D-Drum. D-D-Drum. Could they countersue for... Being assholes? Oh, my God. Sorry. Now I have to edit the podcast. Could they countersue Gibson for... Diluting their own trademarks. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they they crank out Les Pauls like they're Twinkies, and there are probably three hundred different versions of the Les Paul. Yeah. Right. There's like a slash Les Paul. And yeah, a, like a kid rock and Les Paul. A, right, and a and a Daisy Rock Les Paul, and a Hannah Montana <laughs> Les Paul, and a Luna Rock Les Paul, and a Esteban Les Paul, and it just goes on and on. Like, yeah. Les Paul is already a guy. Right. It's already a signature model. Right. We don't need a, a Dan Fogelberg Les Paul. It's already a Les Paul. Yeah, pretty soon it'll be like Jonas. What, is, what are they? The Harry, Jonas Brothers? The Jonas Brothers Kid Rock Les Paul. Do, they, do those guys even play guitar? I have, I've never heard any of their music. I have no idea. This is a worrying thing, you know. Name a modern guitar hero under 30. See, this is Jack a problem. White. No, he's over 30. Kate, I said guitar hero. <laughs> well, see, here's the deal. Is that back in the 70s, would you have said... I don't know what I'm trying to say. It, I'm saying once, when they're contemporary with you, you don't know that they're leg- legends until later. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. But what I'm saying is, it used to be a thing to be a famous, smoking hot, shredding guitar player. Yeah. And now it's not. Well, part of the problem is that neither of us are up to date on current music. Well, mostly because it sucks. And the other problem is a lot of current music doesn't have guitars on it. That's what it's, I'm trying to say to you. It's just That's like my a, point. a keyboard player. Right. Playing a Casio keyboard with different effects. And sampling different classic mm-hmm. songs. And then auto-tuning their voice. It's a strange, sad world we live in, and it has my pity. <laughs> okay, uh, continue. Among other allegations, Gibson is accusing Armadillo, which also owns the drum maker Drum, of running afoul of seven of its trademarks. These include... Drum trademarks? I don't know. No. Gibson doesn't even make drums. So, I could just delete that whole section. Let me start over. Among the other allegations, Gibson is accusing Armadillo of running afoul of seven of its trademarks. These include the body shape design of the Flying V, Explorer, ES, and SG, as well as the Dove Wing headstock design, the Hummingbird name, and the modern trademark. Modern. Modern. Moderne. Uh, this news comes on the hot on the heels of the Gibson director of brand experience, Mark Ag- Agnesy. Yeah, discussing, Agnesi or, yeah. Yeah, discussing trademark infringement in a YouTube video uploaded by Gibson last week. It was weird. In the video, he cautioned other guitar builders, you have been warned. That was a weird deal we're for him. We're looking out and we're here to protect our iconic legacy. So Gibson Whew. was like... Circling the drain in a lot of people's minds. And they hired that dude, 
Mark Agnesi. 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 Because he's kind of a famous um, vintage guitar aficionado. Mm-hmm. And he famously had, when Trump won the election, he famously had hats made that said, Make Gibson Great Again. Wow. So Gibson reached out to that guy and said, Look, why don't you come work for us and help us make Gibson great again? Now, I could have this story wrong. This is my, this is my understanding of it from uh, just from what I've seen on Instagram. <laughs> I did some really really deep research on (laughs) on Instagram, and uh, um, they're among the memes I was reading (laughs) between the lines, and this is what I understand happened. Um, And so, you know, he, uh, this is one of the first things that he's done, is he released this video saying, we're going to, now we're going to sue everybody. It got weird. It's just insane. And I can understand Gibson wants to protect their trademarks but well it's, it's too late it's a little late in the game and it's also to me smacks of desperation right like what are we gonna do to save this company well and honestly is gibson really i mean is dean are dean instruments dean guitars really that much, that much in of competition a i mean gibson is a huge company and even if they're failing, they they got to be bigger than Dean Guitars. Oh, sure, right? they're bigger. I mean, well, yeah. But, you know, Fender and Gibson, they sue smaller companies. I mean, right. that's what they do. And what I don't understand is it seems like this has all been kind of settled. There have been a number of famous lawsuits that Gibson and Fender both um, famously had. And I thought some of these matters were settled. Like, Gibson and Fender didn't try to didn't try to enforce copyrights on their body styles for so long that the court ruled basically sorry it's too late yeah you know one of the things that was cited in the ruling was in fender's case if you look up electric guitar in the dictionary it shows you a picture of a strat sorry it's a ubiquitous thing now yeah uh and it says a bunch of other stuff, but let me skip forward. Uh, rather than only accusing Armadillo of infringing trademarks, the filing accuses it of trademark counterfeiting. In effect, accusing Armadillo of trying to deceive or mislead the public into thinking that the guitars made by Dean and Luna are in fact Gibsons or have some connection to Gibson. Now that is a that is a that really is... big and yeah fallacious. There Stretch. Is, there is no way they're going to. Nobody win that buys lawsuit. a nobody buys a Dean and thinks it's somehow related to a Gibson. Yeah, yeah. Gibson is going to lose that lawsuit. There is no doubt in my mind. Bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And why? I mean, there's a way that they could do this and probably win, but this is not it, man. I don't know. Uh, you know, you can you can understand a company wanting to protect its. Totally. It's uh, trademarks and it's property. It's intellectual property, but this is... Uh... Yeah. It also says Gibson has requested a jury trial to resolve the case. Hmm. So that would be fun. Well, I guess we'll follow that, whether we like it, whether, whether we want to or not. Isn't it, Don't you have to, if to serve on a jury for a trial, you have to have no prior knowledge of either party? 
Uh, Isn't not that true? Re- well, not really. I mean, they'll do, they'll do some kind of jury selection, and I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's the news, and we're gonna go to commercial. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman. But I'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial. Hi, Eric. Hope you are doing well. Just wanted to follow up and say that I love this guitar. The tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing. The neck is so fast and straight, and it's very light. Most importantly, the pickups are incredible. Any tone is available. Nate. Well, thanks, Nate. I'm so glad that he's happy with that one. Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar. I've owned so many, and I can't figure out why this guitar feels like the one that I've been playing with my whole life, even though I've only had it a month. Thank you, Eli. Right on. You did it again, my friend. Why do your pickups sound so f***ing good? (laughs) David. (laughs) You know, I tell people it's it's like making a cake. You gotta have the right recipe, you gotta have quality ingredients, and you have to, it all comes together in a certain way. And if you do the wrong thing at any certain step, then you end up with a bad cake. Right. It's like making a delicious, very good sounding cake. Go ahead. Recently purchased the Nitro Blonde pinup custom guitar you made. The intonation, resonance, playability, and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best I have ever played. I plug in and can't stop playing for hours. I will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup. Thanks, Douglas. That's what I like to hear. Douglas, thank you. And you guys are so nice. You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl, pinupcustomguitars.com. there. In reference to the question you had about mold and an old Gibson, I have a suggestion. If what you have is mold and not some other discoloring mark, it will dissolve in bleach. If you treat a spot of it with a Q-tip soaked in bleach and then watch what happens, perhaps by inserting one of those new wireless telephones with a built-in photographic contraption. <laughs> that was a jab at you. I know it Did was. Did you get it? Yeah, I got it. Thanks. 
You could tell if it was mold or not. If not, maybe you needn't worry about it. I would treat any mold you do find with bleach, though it may, may be watered down about 50%. The caveat I will offer is that what I would do to an... is that this is what I would do to old furniture, and I can't say what it might do to something as delicate as a guitar, but I imagine as long as you dry it out, it should be okay. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Yeah, that's kind of along the same lines of what I was thinking, but I'm not a bleach expert or a mold expert, so... Yeah. Yeah. And you, ha- you have to be to clean up any molds. You no. have to be a mold expert. Okay. Thanks. Smart guy. Uh, thank you for the question. I mean, the comment. Hi, Eric. I'm a fan of your work, and I may order a custom guitar someday, but maybe you can clear up something for me. What is the difference between a pinup custom guitar and an Eric Daw custom guitar? Oh. Thanks, PT. Well, uh, really, it's just the name. When I So when I thought of the idea for pinup custom guitars, like 15 years ago... Uh, it was something that I, I, I needed. I, I felt like I needed kind of a, uh, a not a gimmick, but you a know, shtick. A little bit of a something to set me apart, right? Right. And I didn't. I felt like just putting my name on the headstock wasn't going to be memorable. This was way before the podcast. This was way before anybody in the guitar world ever heard of me or knew who I was not that they do now not that they know who I am now but way even less than now uh so putting my name on the headstock wouldn't have meant anything to anyone so I thought well let's let what's something cool and memorable that I can do and a lot of old guitars show up with pinup girl water slide decals on them right it was kind of a thing and then there's also some, there's like pictures of workers working in the Fender factory where there are like Elvgren pinup girl calendars in the background. Yeah. It's kind of a thing where pinup girls have been, you know, that World War II era right. bom- bomber art pinup girl 50s. Uh, it's the same way that pinup girls are kind of associated with hot rods. Yeah. Kind of right. loosely, you know? Right. They're kind of associated with guitars, that cheesecake pinup thing. If you can hear our children cackling in the background, my apologies. Uh, And so I thought, this is something cool. And I did a little internet search and nobody was doing pinup custom guitars. So I started doing that. And uh, the idea was every guitar would get a real vintage pinup girl water slide decal on the guitar somewhere and then would get a name like a female name right you know and so this was the idea i started and that's just it just went from there sometimes i make a guitar that isn't that it doesn't have a pinup girl decal on it so i wouldn't i wouldn't want to call it a pinup custom guitar because that's confusing right right and now I feel like I'm a little bit more well-known to where I can I can get away with putting my name on the headstock and people might go, oh, yeah, that's the pinup guitars guy or that's the fret files guy, right? Right. So uh, I occasionally make a one-off that is whatever it is. Or sometimes, here's the other thing, sometimes people contact me and say, Eric, I love your work. I want one of your guitars. The pinup girl thing is a deal breaker. I don't like it. 
Right. So can I order a guitar without a pinup girl on it? And I'll say, of course you can. But it won't say pinup on the headstock because that's confusing. Right? Yeah, I guess so. It will say my name on the headstock. It'll say Eric Daw Custom Guitars. So that's the difference. You know, very similar, really, guitars. I've probably only made 10 Eric Daw Custom Guitars. Yeah. And I've made, I think, 150 pinup custom guitars. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the question there, uh, PT. Yep. Hello, I recently acquired what I believe to be a late 50s Rickenbacker lap steel. The aluminum, I think, fretboard has peeled off, leaving adhesive residue all over the guitar. What is the best way to strip this residue off without removing finish? Also, what should I do? What should I glue it back on with? I'll try and send you pictures. That's from Tyler. Thanks for the question, Tyler. Uh, he did send pictures, by the way. Um, yeah, I would try... Uh, I, I would try naphtha to clean off that residue. N-A-P-T-H-P... We've done this H- before. P- naphtha. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I would try. You could also try just a little bit of soapy water. Yeah. You could try a little bit of denatured alcohol. Be, ca- be careful with denatured alcohol because it it's a pretty strong solvent that it might um, start eating through the paint. So what about, uh, just try a test, a small test. What about WD-40? No. No? Yeah, naphtha is probably your best bet there. It's also, it's basically Ronsonol lighter fluid. It's basically lighter fluid. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, oh, what should he glue it back on with? No. Uh, I would use uh, 3M double-sided adhesive. Oh, really? Double-sided tape. You wouldn't glue it on. You'd tape it on. Nah, it's aluminum. It's aluminum uh, fretboard. Oh, and glue doesn't stick to it? It's like, it's like thin. Yeah. Well, glue maybe sticks to it, but I'd treat it like a a pick guard that's like an acoustic pick guard. Use some double-sided adhesive. Okay. Double-sided tape. Interesting. Thanks, Tyler. Eric and Melissa, what is the book about guitar picks you guys mentioned on the podcast? My wife rolled her eyes heavily at my excitement when you mentioned a book about picks. That's from Brannon. <laughs> it's a cool book. It's called. It's just called Picks by Will Hoover. Will Hoover. And that I really want to interview him and kind of do a little synopsis of the book and talk about the history of picks and talk about some of the stuff that's in the book. Yeah, cool. 1995 Miller Freeman Books. It's about 25 bucks on Amazon. It's a cool book. I, I think it's a it's kind of steep for how big the book is, but it's I think it's long out of print. Yeah. It's a, what, uh, 25-year-old book now. Yeah. And uh, so... You know, it's a little bit steep. For It's probably more than what it sold for originally, but I think it's worth it because it's interesting. It's very cool. Yeah, Picks by Will Hoover. And that's a guy I really want to interview. We'll see if I can ever make that happen. What is the difference between a late 50s Fender neck profile and an early 60s Fender neck profile? Thanks for the show and all that you do. That's from Lawrence. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, the difference is a few years. <laughs> Do you know what the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is? What? A few days. Is that a joke? 
Yeah, I, I think I said it wrong. The joke is that when you get walk out of the salon, it always looks like crap, but then it grows in a few days later, and then it looks really good. I understood that, but it, it just... <laughs> I didn't really think it was... I didn't really think it was funny. Okay. Um, the difference in the neck profiles... You know, people like to say, well, this has a 57 neck profile, or this has a 62 neck profile. Yeah, in general, they kind of changed, but each one was shaped, you know, kind of by hand, and they do vary, so uh, generally they slimmed out. If you want a general answer, uh, the early 60s fender necks are slimmer and the later 50s are like 57, 58. They kind of have a soft V, and then they go a little slimmer, and then they go slimmer still by the, by the early 60s, but again, they vary, and you, you see them kind of all over the place, but that's Generally speaking, that's what happened is they got slimmer. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Lawrence. Eric, with all the talk about the big companies suing the little guys lately, have you ever had any legal action taken against you or ever had any threatening letters from the big company whose guitars you lovingly copy? <laughs> I wouldn't say copy. No, I wouldn't say copy. No, no, I've never had any kind of legal anything, legal actions taken against me. I also make replica-style guitars, and let's say that I'm asking because I live in fear. <laughs> A fellow guitar scientist. I don't think you need to live in fear. You know, th there, there's been lawsuits about this, and basically um, the only thing that, that uh, held up in court is headstock shape. So you do your own headstock shape and make sure that it's clear that you are selling a product that is a, is a different brand name. And uh, I, I think you're, it's smooth sailing. should be smooth sailing. The only guys that get sued, except for this latest lawsuit where Gibson is suing Dean over... You know, the, by the way, this I didn't print this part out of that article, but it shows a picture of the Dean headstock and a picture of the Gibson headstock, and they're just super clearly different. Really? Yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, as long as your headstock shape is different, the the only guys that are getting sued, that to my knowledge, are guys who use an exact copy headstock, and a lot of guys, now this is a bonehead move, a lot of guys will make a replica and then put Fender on the headstock. Yeah, that's not And then not put good. it on the internet. Hey, yeah. buy my Fender replica. That's not good. Well, it's no small wonder you got sued. Right. When you're going to do that, especially, and there's guys who try to do that and you know they make i've seen several of them they make nice guitars really authentic looking like relic aged finish you know guitars yeah but the headstock is exactly the same and it says fender on it like D dummy can't yeah. do that yeah. it's called counterfeiting yeah so change the headstock use your own name your own brand name and i you know all the, it seems like most of the guys who do this have a disclaimer at the bottom of their website that says something like, we in no way have any affiliation with company X. Right. This is our, these are our own. Just to make it absolutely 100% clear. Yeah. Make it clear. And yeah, cover your A-S-S, -S, like with a little. Cover your bases. Cover your bases. 
let's let's say that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to swear again. You didn't. <laughs> That's it for the uh, for the show. We appreciate you listening, and I want to wish a very very happy t- birthday to my sweet wife, Melissa. Thank you. Yeah. I'm gonna be 21. We'll uh, see you next time. If you want to participate in the show, you should go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do that is to call or text 757-774-8482. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Good night.